we could get peak chaos by going into Daytona with 16 winners and somehow Blaney takes the points lead. We get a new 17th winner and two guys that were in on wins get knocked out. All right, Stacking Denny's is back. Another race in the books at Road America. Chase Elliott dominates most of the race. Tyler Reddick gets it at the end. Nick, I thought that was a pretty boring road course race, and I think a lot of people agreed with me. Uh, Jeff Gluck's poll kept it at 55%, eh, a little bit, 55-56% said yes, that that was a good race. Ranked 20 out of 23 road courses that he's polled. Third lowest race of this season so far, and only Martinsville and the All-Star race are lower, and we both know how awful those two races were. Um, I think a big part of that, and a part of the reason why I didn't like it, is because there was nobody in even close to Chase Elliott and Tyler Reddick on speed. I think like the fifth-place guy was 40 seconds behind by the end of the race. There were no cautions. There was no drama. It was just... The guys that were good were good. They stayed up there, and like maybe one or two had issues. I know Byron had an issue. He kind of rebounded. Uh, Austin Dillon had an issue on the last lap, just like it's happened twice this year. Has absolutely killed my DFS at DFS days because I was heavy on Austin Dillon uh, in this last race. But um, overall, what do you think of that race? I know you're happy with the outcome. I mean, you called on Stacking Denny's last week, 25-1 to 1 Tyler Reddick, so you have to be happy about that. But as far as the overall racing – what do you think of Road America? I was going to say, it's the greatest race of all time. What are you talking about now? <laughs> no, in all seriousness, um, the racing sucked. Uh, it, was, it, was a, it was one of the most boring road course races uh, that NASCAR has put on ever. Um, not just this year, not in recent years since we've been doing Stacking Denny's, ever. Like, since I've been watching NASCAR road course racing since I was a little kid, right? I'm talking 30 plus years. Uh, I'll be 39 soon, and, and I've been watching NASCAR for as long as I can remember. Uh, definitely the most boring road course race I've ever watched. Uh, aside from, there was a little entertainment with the battle of Will Chase Elliott pass back Reddick, right? Because Reddick passed Elliott, and then it was like, will, will he pass him back? But in the last five or six laps, that question was, you know, answered as, as he never got within two seconds. Tyler Reddick just kept pulling away and five or six laps there is, you know, 40 or sorry, 20 to like 24 miles, almost yeah. 25 miles. So like there was no drama even at the end of the race. And, uh, there was a couple of passes in the pack and not, you know, I can't really call it a pack, but there was a couple of passes, you know, around the, the, maybe the back half of the top 10 or in the low teens, but nothing super consequential. And so, yeah, just uh, not a great race. Not a great race. Um, it was, to be fair, that we like to see things go caution-free. I just would have liked to have seen closer competition. Uh, we like to see good, mm -hmm. hard racing, clean racing, if possible. And, and we saw that. So it wasn't the worst race I've ever seen. It was just boring. But it was good. Like, it was a good natural race. I mean, obviously, aside from stage cautions, which are manufactured, it, it had no cautions. So it was, uh, you know, natural caution free, um, good natural racing. That's what you'd like to see. You just would like to have also have seen more competition, more competitiveness in that racing, because 
there wasn't a whole lot of competitiveness in that. So it it was it was maybe even though it was mo- the most boring race road course race I've seen, I don't think it was the worst road course race I've ever seen, but it still wasn't a very good one. Mm-hmm. It was we talked about last week because Chase Elliott was the favorite heading into that weekend five to one, um, and we said how it wasn't a like I wasn't going to bet Chase Elliott because it was too short of odds. I still wouldn't have even bet him. I don't remember what he ended up with or at after practice and qualifying because he won the pole. But I still wouldn't have bet him because I didn't think he had that good of a car. But he can't, he went out there and it, he was in. He was like last like 2020 2021 chase elliott last week at road america we saw that come back again um did you were you surprised by how dominant that nine car was even after practice and qualifying yeah i was um you know we didn't we saw in the speeds in practice speeds he was up there uh in lap times and certainly he could have challenged for being the best driver based off those lap times but nothing I saw there was like, man, Chase Elliott's just going to absolutely dominate today. Even after he got the pole, I was like, yeah, he'll probably lead a bunch of laps because he's out front and he's Chase Elliott. But I didn't think he was just going to pull away by three, five, six seconds in each of the first two stages. Uh, luckily for Tyler Reddick, he was able to work his way forward you know, because he started fourth and then I think finished stage fourth to third and then got up to second. And then looks like Tyler Reddick was able to improve his car and his driving more than Chase Elliott did throughout the race. But I was definitely surprised by how strong Chase Elliott was. I mean, we shouldn't be surprised that Chase Elliott is strong at a road course, but just the level of his strength compared to what we saw in practice, compared to what we've seen at previous road course races this year, where he's been good, but he hasn't been like, holy crap, dominant. This was Mm -hmm. like, holy crap, dominant until Tyler Reddick matched his dominance and, and even improved on it in the second half of the race there. Yeah, looking at green flag speed, they were the only two to crack 106 miles an hour in green flag speed, and it was almost a full half of a mile an hour slower back to Larson in third. So you look at uh, Larson was third fastest in green flag speed. You go all the way down to um, Alex Bowman in 14th. All of those drivers are within a half a mile an hour, basically a six, ten- six, six tenths or seven tenths of a mile an hour. And then, like I said, Chase Elliott, Tyler Reddick, were above 106. So just, you know, those two were in a league of their own um, when it comes to the speed that we saw at Road America. Now we have another winner. So we're now up to 13 winners. And my goal of seeing 17 winners this season before the playoff starts is becoming more and more of a possible reality. So 18 races down, we have eight races to go until the playoffs start. Ryan Blaney, Martin Truex Jr., Christopher Bell, Kevin Harvick, Eric Amarola are all currently in on points, I think. No, no, no. No, no, no. no. I'm wrong. They th- None of those guys have wins. I don't have the, the cutoff here in front of me. Uh, who's, so, who's on the cutoff line? So, Bell? Uh, yeah, Bell is ahead of Harvick. So Harvick there we is go. out. And Christopher Bell is in right now. So, uh, you know, we kept talking about how if we get new winners, that that cut line was going to creep up. And somebody like a Christopher Bell, somebody like a Martin Truex Jr. wouldn't necessarily yeah. be safe. Well, Christopher Bell, now instead of being in the 40 points plus to the good, he's only now 20 points to the good. And Truex, instead of being 80 or 90 points to the good, he's now only 61 points to the good. So one bad race from him, uh, you know, could put him right near Christopher Bell, 
like if Bell goes out and wins, let's say this weekend, and Truex is the first to crash out, all of a sudden Bell could be right on on Truex's heels, uh, which they both would be in. But if that also happened with Harvick, let's say, you know, then then he's gained on uh, you know he's gained on Truex, and suddenly Truex is in peril. So, and then if we have a new winner, another new winner outside, let's say like a Bubba Wallace, um, then it's even looking dangerous for Martin Truex Jr. So. We're not totally safe here with Chris Rebell being 20 points to the good for him. Martin Truex Jr. being 61 points to the good. We're not necessarily safe there for him either. Because uh, two new winners that aren't Truex, uh, and also wouldn't be Blaney, um, would knock Truex out. So two people currently on the outside, if they win, Truex is then out. Mm-hmm. If we do end up with 17 winners, then all of a sudden it becomes very interesting with the guys that are stuck with one win down in points because right now Kurt Busch, Chase Briscoe, Daniel Suarez are all within four points of each other of being the final car with one win. And we have Atlanta this week. We still have a Daytona race. We could easily see 17 winners this year. Like This is becoming very much a reality. 13 winners already uh, through 18 races. Speaking of Martin Truex Jr., Christopher Bell, once again, we talked about this on the show last week. Toyota was not good at Road America, and we fully pointed that out, that they are not good on road courses this year. Truex, like, you know, he ran up there in about eighth for part of the race, ended up finishing 13th. Christopher Bell had the best ten le- or the best green flag speed in that race, 12th. Truex was 13th. Uh, Kyle Busch struggled all day. Hamlin struggled. Bubba got spun by Logano. Um, you know, just an overall another really bad race for the Toyotas at road courses. Did we actually learn anything from Road America that we didn't already know? I'm, I don't feel like we did at all. No, I, I agree. I don't think we learned too much other than I feel like AJ Elmdinger is really overrated at road courses right now. Uh, we saw Sonoma; he was just yeah. meh. We saw Road America; he was just meh. I mean, he was really good at Circuit of the Americas. We thought he could win, but it seems like the other teams have made gains, and and uh, Haley and Elmdinger have just kind of plateaued where they are, where they were from Circuit of the Americas. And so, if you're plateauing and other teams are making gains, then you're actually just falling in terms of your position. Um, Thought Austin Cindric was really good. Stupid strategy. Uh, thought you know Chase Briscoe could have been really good. Stupid strategy. Uh, I understand that they're trying to pick up points for you know because both uh, Austin Cindric and Chase Briscoe are at that point where if we get seventeen winners, they could be the one looking uh, at missing the playoffs with a win. But I mean, we have to get there first and you're essentially throwing away a chance at locking yourself in with two wins for yep. this strategy of hoping you get some extra points in case three other drivers win. It's, it's To me, even though there is a chance we get three new winners, uh, it, to me it's just like I think it's far more probable you can win a road course, a single road course race if you're a really good road course racer, than to have three more new winners in the next eight races. Uh, it, it seems far much more likely we'll get a couple extra repeat winners, you know, another Chase Elliott winner, especially with a couple road courses. Another, uh, I don't know, Kyle Larson win or a William Byron win. It just seems like there's so much more probability of you winning one road course race as a good road course racer than to have to dodge three brand new winners and not be the last one in points. So I thought it was a dumb strategy. 
Mm-hmm. And yeah, and and you you mentioned that quite a few times last week. Like why why anybody would, would take that strategy? And I think for the most part, except for maybe Briscoe and like you said, Cindric, uh, everyone else was you know not taking the dumb strategy for what seems like the first time in in a road course this season. I think most of the crew chiefs have it figured out. Um, I think in Blaney's case, the, the big exception was Blaney in stage two. I actually totally agree yeah. with that because unless, you know, we talked about how Truex could miss, Blaney would need three new winners and they would all have to, you know, be worse than him in points. So I guess they all would be worse than him in points. And, he, you know, like, he'd also have to not overtake Chase Elliott in the points, which there, it's possible he's 33 points. It just seems so much more likely that Blaney seems very secure uh, that... Uh, I, you know, I'm not worried about his point situation. So to grab that extra playoff point, I think was a very smart move for them because the playoff point to them means so much more than anything else right now. Regular season points, wins, none of that matters because Blaney is almost surely locked into the playoffs. It would take a complete total insanity situation for him not to make the playoffs that I agree with them taking the playoff point at the end of stage two. But you're right about the stage one strategy. I, I thought that was silly with Cindric and Briscoe. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, like a scenario, I, I'm really interested to see what happens here at Atlanta this week because we know how unpredictable, unpredictable it can be. Uh, if someone like a Bubba Wallace wins, I think Blaney then ha- would have to be a little concerned because I think Truex can win, I think Bell can win, and Harvick and Almirola could steal a win at Daytona. Um and and then all of a sudden Blaney's the, the guy out, you know, even though he's second in points. But, yeah, he only has five playoff points this year, even though he's second in points, even though he's having one of the best seasons, um, you know, as far as average finish-wise and, and racking up points. But hasn't been able to get that win and uh, isn't winning many stages either, which is pretty typical of Penske. But Chase Elliott t- – uh, he, he has the most stage wins of anybody this year. <laughs> Does he really? Him and Truex five five. Truex five. Yeah. Hmm. But that's the thing. He hasn't won the final stage, which is the race. <laughs> right. And neither is Truex. Funny enough. Hmm. Interesting. Yeah. So weird. Anyway, so Chase Elliott now twelve top tens in the first eighteen races, two wins. Could have easily had another. Um. I like. I'm still not even considering him a championship favorite, and I don't know why. Because he's putting together probably the best season, even a better season than he's had than he had in his championship year. Like that team is running well this year. They're definitely the top of of Hendrick. They have the most speed. You know, Byron's had flashes, but you know his average finish this year is 17.1, which is not very good at all. Bowman's been decent. Larson's been a little less than expected, but Chase Elliott is strong this year like i said leading the series in top tens him and chastain both have 12 he only has five top fives chastain's leading the way with nine um where would you put chase elliott as far as championships favorites i know most of the books have him or larson as you know the set favorite um are is that what you're thinking as well or you know, you're still know, saying man. chastain's up there i don't know this is so tough to handicap because yeah you know, you were saying like you don't feel like he should be the you know the top dog here, and I don't either because he only has five top fives. Uh, mm-hmm. Chastain has nine, like almost double the amount of top fives Chase Elliott has. It just doesn't feel like 
outside of a couple of scenarios, let's say the concrete tracks and the road courses, that Chase Elliott has had this massive upside this year. And he instead has been Mr. Consistency, like 12 top 10s along with Ross Chastain, uh, and very few, very few DNFs, only one DNF for Chase Elliott. If we look at the guys that are in the playoffs right now, the current 16 in the playoffs, Chase Elliott's the only one with one DNF. Everybody else has at least two. Uh, some have three and some have four. But the only person that doesn't have a DNF all year uh, of a full-time driver is Eric Almarola, but he's mm-hmm. on the outside looking in. So Chase Elliott has been consistently really good, but not great. You know what I mean? Outside, again, outside of the road courses and the concretes, he's been really good, but not great. And yet that's still enough. That consistently really good has been enough in the chaotic 2022 season that we've had to put him in the points lead. And if that continues, he should make it Phoenix. I and And he and Blaney had the two best cars at Phoenix earlier this year. I just don't know if that's going to be enough at Phoenix the second time around, especially if there's some changes. There's been talk about, you know, maybe getting doing away with a diffuser at the uh, short flat tracks and stuff. I don't know if that's going to be enough to make him the favorite in my eyes, especially with only one road course race in the playoffs, no concrete tracks in the playoffs. He will have to do the consistency thing as he's been doing all year. Uh, but he'll have to then back it up with probably a win at Phoenix, and I just don't know. Uh, so who's the favorite? No idea. I would say it's probably a toss-up between Elliott, Blaney, uh, Chastain, and maybe like a, a Kyle Busch. Mm. Yeah, looking at the playoffs, you know, Bristol's there. Chase Elliott's always really good at Bristol. Um, Charlotte Roval's there. He gets one road course and then martinsville and these are all these are all three of the final races of the of each round martinsville we saw what he did at martinsville earlier this year now whether that was due to the car whether he actually had that good of a car he's usually very good at martinsville so i don't i don't think it's going to be an easy playoffs for him and and luckily for him he has those 13 points he could you know with a couple more wins you know he could be looking at mid-20s and points um and i think that's definitely going to help him a couple other things that happened this week. Uh, another thing we talked about last week was Bubba Wallace and his pit crew. Joe Gibbs Racing did make some changes to his pit crews, um, moving the front tire changer and tire carrier uh, from Bell's Christopher Bell's team to Bubba Wallace's team. Um, and then basically they just swapped those, it looks like. Which I, I don't even know how good Christopher Bell's pit crew is, but you know Bubba has to be happy about that getting some sort of i don't know about recognition but like his concerns are being heard yeah yeah i don't know um how long i don't know if this is a one race thing or uh, did you see anything about that if it's just this race or for the rest of the season or 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 what the deal is because i'm wondering if he's so good at these drafting tracks uh Mm -hmm. we got atlanta coming up if this isn't just a one-off to make sure he doesn't fall back out of contention on the last pit stop or something, that kind of deal, because he is so good here. Uh, but at the same time, like, Chris Bell was in contention for the win in the first Atlanta race. So I don't know, um, but I'm sure that Bubba Wallace feels good about the fact that something is being done. Something is getting through here because he has been screwed over so many times and in so many different ways 
not just by his pit crew, but Logano punting him. The, all sorts of just bad shit has been happening to him. Uh, it's time for the tables to turn for him and look for him to, you know, obviously be in contention this weekend in Atlanta. And I think with all that pent-up frustration, with all that pent-up bad luck, uh, we could see a Bubba Wallace that is really, really pushing the issue come Sunday to get that win. And and he was running second here at Atlanta earlier this year in the race in the, in the closing laps. Um, sportsbooks have finally accepted the fact or acknowledged the fact that Bubba Wallace is really good at drafting tracks. Really, really good at drafting tracks. Uh, best odds you can get him at are fourteen to one. He's as short as twelve to one at both Caesars and DraftKings. Um, I know you have quite a few bets already in on this Atlanta race. This is basically, you know, from what we saw earlier this year in the first Atlanta race on the new surface. Um, this is a. I don't want to call it a Daytona or Talladega, but it's definitely a drafting track, and it's definitely. I don't think we're going to see a big one. I don't think it's the typical super speedway stuff like that, but it has very similarities or a lot of similarities. And I think, you know, going into this week, like what to look at, I think you're looking at, you know, who's been fast on super speedways this year. So first Atlanta race, Daytona, Talladega. But I think you also have to throw in the other mile and a half a little bit as well. Um, even though we saw like is it, it, certain teams and cars could make their way through the field in the first race, but um, it was definitely – up until like for 90% of the race, the fastest cars were still up front and it was the cars that were pretty much expected. It's the William Byron's or the Ross Chastain's. Those guys were staying up front. You had Ricky Stenhouse Jr. up there leading. Um, also had tire issues quite often with leaders in that first race. You know, Chastain early on uh, had uh, went into the wall, halfway spun out, had a two lap penalty, came back and still finished second. Um, Stenhouse did the same thing. But um, as far as, you know, Atlanta, I want to talk about Atlanta a lot. So if you if you don't have anything to talk about more on, on Road America, we can get right into Atlanta because um, these are the weeks that are the most fun to talk about because pretty much anybody outside of Cody Ware is is able to win this race. Yeah, the only thing I have left to say about Road America is Tyler fucking Reddick, baby. <laughs> <laughs> I, uh, yes. I did. I, I got to have my victory lap. Come on. Like – yeah. I called that on this show last week. It was my pick to win on my I do weekly uh, like picks on a Action Network YouTube page, uh, and that was my pick to win. Uh, my pick to win for Action Network on the video is sometimes different than my stacking Denny's pick because I also want to take in betting odds considerations. So I doubled down on Tyler Reddick both on stacking Denny's and on my Action Network video, and I was like, this is the guy I'm picking just to straight up win this week so mm -hmm. um i just i just had this feeling that this is the road course that suits him the best he's been so good at road courses recently and he's hitting that time in his career the 92nd race of his career chase elliott won in 99 kyle larson won in race 99 that i was like this just feels like his time and it, it luckily enough happened to be uh and I think a lot of people made some good money off of betting Tyler Reddick. So, hell yeah! But yeah, I know, I know, I wouldn't have bet Tyler Reddick if you wouldn't have convinced me on the show last week. Like, like I said, I went over after we recorded. I went over and bet Suarez, and I threw a bet on Reddick as well. I wish I would have flipped the bets as far as money wise because I put more on Suarez than I did on Reddick. But still, you can never complain about hitting twenty five to one. Um, 
Yeah. That's a great day all around. Yeah, definitely. And, uh, you know, you said some things about Atlanta that I'm sure we're going to talk about because I do have, I wouldn't say disagreements, but I have some thoughts on what you were saying and what I've been seeing on Twitter because I think people, my opinion, I think people are putting too much stock into one race, the only Atlanta race we've seen. And they're mm-hmm. drawing firm conclusions from a single race that we've seen where that's the first time drivers and teams had ever raced at that style of racing. Let's be real. It isn't super speedway drafting. It is still drafting, and it is still mile-and-a-half-ish drafting. But they're also drawing firm conclusions from one race, which I don't think we can draw. Teams learned a lot from that, and I think we'll see some changes, right? Uh the driver that won that race, that dominated that race, William Byron, brought the super speedway car to that race with an intermediate mm-hmm. setup. And I think if people learn from that and see that, they mimic that, we could see a more level playing field, including some of the mid and lower tier guys getting to the front. And I wouldn't say it was just Ricky Stenhouse Jr. <laughs> raced up front. I, Eric Jones got up there. Uh, we saw Justin Haley up there. And people are like, well, Bubba Wallace. yeah, Bubba Wallace. Like, but, but Bubba Wallace is now favored. I'm saying of these like 30, 40, 50, oh, yeah. 60 plus odds drivers, we saw some others up there at various points. Attrition or not, there's still going to be attrition. The whole year has been attrition at ovals. Like, there's going to be attrition. So don't limit mm. it to, oh, well, he was only up there because of attrition. Well, that's what's going to happen. I mean, probably, not guaranteed, but probably. And just because it was only Ricky Stenhouse Jr. last time doesn't mean it's only going to be Ricky Stenhouse Jr. this time, in, in your opinion, for not your specifically, but like in one's opinion. Like if they said, well, Ricky Stenhouse is the only 40-plus driver to, to contend up front, that doesn't mean he's going to be the only one this time. Uh, by the way, Eric Almirola ran up front, and he's 40-1. to one. Um, So let's dispel all of these myths right away. But... Races are different every time we go to a track. They're not identical repeats of the last race that we were at that track. So if we're so focused on the fact that Todd Gilliland didn't run in the top 10 or or whatever, you know, we're going to miss out on the fact that Todd Gilliland can possibly run in the top 10, right? Look what he did at Talladega. Look what he did at Daytona. Uh, Yes, this is different, but... Everybody's learned and things will be different. No two situations are going to be the same. You still have to factor in the probabilities of these things happening and the probabilities of some of these events, uh, like Eric Amarola winning, for example, in my opinion, is less than the, or is more than, he's more likely to win than the odds he's being given right now. So I think there's a lot of betting opportunity in this race and maybe people will disagree with me and I'd love that because uh, I'm disagreeing with them. And I'm not calling anybody out. This isn't like a negative thing. This is more just like I have opinions because we shouldn't be drawing so many conclusions from one race, especially the very first race at a track ever. Uh, you know, not mm-hmm. at the track, but at the. I mean, it's essentially a new track. Right. Yeah. So, in case I don't think we should have to say this, but um, any Atlanta data before this year completely throw it out the window because this is essentially a new racetrack. Like they repaved it. It's it is completely different. It races like it completely races different. <laughs> it's not even and not even remotely close to the old Atlanta. So any previous data throw out there. Um but you know, I, I got green flag speeds pulled up from that first Atlanta race and the top twenty two were all within a half a mile an hour of each other. Twenty two was Josh Balicki. Mm-hmm. Corey LaJoy was thirteenth, he finished fifth. 
And we all know how good of a, of a super speedway racer LaJoy is. Uh, Justin Haley finished 11th. He was 11th in green flag speed. So definitely a, a completely um, even, more even playing field, I think, yeah. at Atlanta, which obviously opens up the opportunity to take the long shots. Who are your favorite long shots that you've bet so far? Like you said, you have nine outright bets so far. Um, already on Atlanta, and we're not going to get. We don't get practice this week. We just get qualifying, and if and if you know, as far as super speedways, qualifying means nothing. So um, there's not. I don't. I don't expect much line movement unless you know books get hammered with one guy. But um, who who are you? Who are you already looking at as as good long shot bets? Because I have one that really sticks out to me. Yeah, I mean, I've got a few. I wouldn't say long shot bets. Uh, like it depends on how long we want to go. I mean. Ricky right. Ricky Stenhouse Jr. If I guess we can count that as a long shot bet, but he was fifty to one uh, at Caesars and still is, and that's like my favorite bet. Of course, uh, as everybody has identified, Ricky Stenhouse was air quote the one. And I disagree with this uh, driver that was able to make his way to the front on on speed and you know outside of the the top tier of drivers. Uh, so that would be my favorite bet. We know he's great at super speedways. We saw him do it well at Atlanta, first Atlanta. So that would be my favorite bet at 50-1 to 1 if I had to pick a single driver. And, uh, you know, I think he's done well at a lot of the ovals, the higher speed ovals this year as well. Like, um, And I hate bringing in a lot of the higher speed ovals as, like, analysis work because I don't think it really makes sense. But the point is he's done well at some of the higher speed ovals outside of just – Atlanta if you want to go beyond drafting tracks, but I'm mostly just sticking with drafting tracks. What I'm doing for my model this week, I'm just going to tie it into my model, is I'm using drafting and I'm using the low wear one and a half mile tracks. So that would be Texas mm-hmm. and only Texas right now uh, and Kentucky after their repaves. So Kentucky was repaved in 2016, Texas repaved in 2017. So from 2016 uh, until Kentucky went off the schedule and Texas 2017 to present – I'm throwing those in with the super speedways as my like data set to analyze data off of so that it kind of does give a little more weight to the you know the top tier drivers and a little less weight to the bottom tier drivers. And even then I'm still getting 150 to 1 should be the longest for anybody to win outside of like the junk cars, your Balickies, your McLeod, your Smithleys, your Wares. Uh 150 to 1 should be the longest for any driver outright even if i include like texas and kentucky as part of the the mix of stuff Mm -hmm. you mentioned texas obviously ryan blaney won that race ryan blaney also had the best green flag speed here at atlanta in the first race he's co-favorite with chase elliott is he worth a stab there at 10 to 1 no driver's worth the stab at 10 to 1 at these crazy random tracks, in my opinion. We don't know who's going who's to be the best. Uh, mm-hmm. It could be William Byron again. It could be Bubba Wallace. It could be Christopher Bell. It could be Ryan Blaney. You know, like we saw throughout that race, uh, yes, William Byron had the best car and did win the race, which is, you know, kind of something noteworthy. Uh, but at the same time, look how many drivers took the lead at various points throughout the race. Um and then ended up having problems, you know, tire problems. Like uh, we had Chastain with the tire problem. We had uh, Stenhouse with the tire problem. Reddick had problems after taking the lead or near the lead. You know, all sorts of things happen at or near the lead, especially with Chevy drivers. But Daniel Suarez, right, he got the lead. Like 
So many drivers took the lead in that race and led for a portion of that race that, you know, if everybody, if all of those top tier drivers, let's, how many are there? Let's say like 16 drivers. If they all had equal odds of winning, they shouldn't even be one in, you know, 15 to one because that's one in 16. Uh, So, you know, I don't think, and, and then you still have to count the rest of the field. So they all, you know, that would be if it was a 16 car race and they all had equal odds of winning, they all should be 15 to one. Um, but then you got a whole bunch of other cars as well. So I just can't really see how we think certain drivers are going to be better than others by a lot, convincingly a lot, that anybody needs to be 9 or 10 to 1. I think that's a little ridiculous, and I wouldn't bet on anybody at 9 or 10 to 1. Yeah, looking at fastest laps from that race, uh, Chase Briscoe led the way with 17. Justin Haley was third with 13. Uh, there was... Uh, 36 cars that got at least one fastest lap in that race there was also 20 cars that led at least one lap in that race 10 of them led at least 11 and that includes byron with 111 um harvick led 11 laps legato suarez blaney bell kyle bush stenhouse elliott chastain they all led a good amount of laps um so uh, one guy that is really sticking out to me that I think is worth putting a little sprinkle on is Cole Custer at 200 to one at Caesars because 200 to one for Cole Custer does not make sense to me. I don't care that he's probably not going to win this race. I cannot pass up 200 to one for a Stuart Haas car as good as the Fords have been at the super speedways and the drafting tracks this year. Yeah. And he actually has just moved down to 80 to one at Caesars. So nice. Yeah. So we got him 200 to one opening but he's already down to 80 to 1 but you're right that was way off market there um cole custer won at kentucky right the the two tracks i talked about texas and kentucky he won at kentucky uh that's not a drafting track that is just a one and a half mile low wear oval freshly paved oval uh he won there and yes that was in Stuart haas's better years you know two two years ago i think it was but at the same time, no Stuart Haas car should be 201 at a super speedway if we think Daytona or Talladega, not even counting Atlanta. So if we're just talking Texas or Kentucky, and we're just talking Daytona and Talladega, he shouldn't be 201. And you combine those, he still shouldn't be 201. So 201 was definitely a misprice on Custer. 80 to 1 seems a lot more fair. I wouldn't bet him there, um, but we did get him at 201. You can still find him. 125 to 1 at the Canby books, which I think is a, is a bet there as well. Uh, so, yeah, I agree with you. I think 201 was a little ridiculous, but at this point, he has fallen from 200 to 80 to 1. Mm-hmm. And maybe I need to refresh my page. It was still showing 200 for me. Maybe this doesn't update as often as I'd like, but um, uh, who, else is, who else is a good... Uh, or a guy that you really like this week. Yeah. Um, I talked about Eric Almarola. Uh, he led last Atlanta race. We know how great he is at super speedway racing. If we talk just Daytona and Talladega, two wins, probably would have won the Daytona 520-18 if Austin Dillon hadn't spun him from behind, um, which would have given him three super speedway wins. Eric Almarola is a really good super speedway racer. Ran up front at Atlanta. And, again, we're just talking a Stuart Haas car that – you know, great super speedway racer, great drafting racer. I think I think forty to one is too long on Eric Almarola. 
And so you know, if, I'm, if we're looking at this mid-range, I've, I, we've talked about Stenhouse. We've talked Eric Almirola. The other one I really like is Eric Jones, who was in the mix at Daytona. He was in the mix thinking. at Atlanta. Uh, and he's won before at Super Speedways multiple times. If you count the clash, uh, he has multiple Super Speedway wins in his cup career. Um, so I just think 50 to 1 too long for Eric Jones as well, which you can get at Caesars. So outside of those three, I bet some really long shots. But those are the three I think that are like, you know, in that that 40 to 50 range. Now, I know people are on Brad Keselowski. I'm not. I know people are on Chris Buescher. I'm not. I know people are on Michael McDowell or Justin Haley. I'm not. And I'm not saying they're bad bets. I just am trying to pick my favorites from this 40 to 60-ish range, and those are my favorites. I know people are on Austin Dillon. I'm not. Um, but I think that whole range is chock full of value. I think... You know, maybe Austin Dillon at 41 might be good. I do think Chris Buescher may be good at 40 to 1. I do think Brad Kozowski may be good at 40 to 1. Uh, I do think McDowell may be good at 61. I do think Justin Haley may be good at 66 to 1. I just have to pick my favorites from these, and those are the three I ended up on. I, and again, I don't want to put too much stock into Atlanta because I just said everybody don't. But RFK wasn't very good at Atlanta, uh, so they do need to make some gains if if I'm going to feel better about Brad Keselowski at 40-1 to 1, uh, than I am in Almirola or a Stenhouse or a Jones. They were all better than Keselowski and Busher in the first Atlanta race, so uh, that's part of why, if I'm picking from that tier, I'm picking those drivers instead of a Keselowski or an Austin Dillon or a Chris Busher because those guys were not as strong at the first Atlanta, and that's... I'm basically using that as a tiebreaker, right? I'm using Atlanta one as a tiebreaker rather than as a decide, like as just looking at Atlanta. I'm saying, let's look at all the drafting stuff. And Atlanta is now my tiebreaker. Uh, and I think, uh, I think I would, I would rather have Jones and Stenhouse and, and Almirola because yeah, we know Brad Kazowski is an awesome super speedway racer, but we also know Atlanta's a little bit different. So while you could love Brad Kazowski at 40 to one, and I probably should, Based off of what I've been saying, um, I just I'm not feeling it with Brad Keselowski. Uh, I think if I got 50 to one on him and he was more in the Eric Jones 50 to one, Ricky Sandhouse 50 to one, I'd be betting Brad Keselowski, but I'm not betting him at 40 to one. Uh, yeah, I, I can never get behind Brad Keselowski at at super speedways or anything, just because he's just too aggressive. Like. It's similar to me to Ross Chastain, although Ross Chastain did finish second here um, at Atlanta in the first race. What about someone like a uh, Daniel Suarez sitting there at twenty-two to one at BetMGM? That that one surprised me a little bit. He's fifteen to one at DraftKings, so quite a bit of a swing there between the two books. Yeah, no, I agree. Uh, I don't think I would bet him at twenty-two to one, uh, but somebody I would bet at twenty-two to one is Christopher Bell. I'm eyeing mm. him at 22 to one. He's 22 to one at points bet right now. And remember, had he not gone below the the double white and red line? I don't know what the the rule is because it's not a double yellow. It's a, a white and red line. The ins, if he had not gone below the inside line, he would have finished second to William Byron. Um, he was really strong in that race. He looked really strong on restarts. He was up there in the top restart speeds. He was up there in the top long run speeds from Atlanta. Uh, he was up there in green flag speed. He, I mean, he he was so good at the first Atlanta race, and 
I don't think any JGR driver, you know, should be counted out uh, from a super speeder race, even Martin Truex Jr., who I still am always just going to like auto bet at 30 to 1 at Dega and Daytona, um, even though it's never happened. <laughs> He's never won. But, <laughs> you know, I think Christopher Belt 22 to 1 is interesting. And there's one other driver that I think is really interesting, and it's only because my model says he is uh, of big value here, and, and I'm surprised. But Kurt Busch at 25 to 1 stands out in my model. My model gives him just over a 5% chance of winning, which means you know he should be like around 18 to 1 break even, and I see 25 to 1 on DraftKings. So Kurt Busch. Sneaky, sneaky pick there. Um, he's one of those guys that always creeps up on you at the super speedways. He doesn't go out and dominate. Uh, he's not the, the guy that's going to lead the field for a bunch of laps. Uh, but he's always right there lurking in second or third or fifth, uh, that kind of thing, and could sneak away in. That's a – yeah, that's very good. The only thing <clears> – <throat> It's kind of just because there's so little Toyotas. I feel like um, you know, if, and if we're playing the the manufacturer or the teammate game, um, that's the disadvantage that they have. Looking back at Daytona, Fords were the best at Daytona. They took uh, seven of the top nine finishing positions. We've seen it switch over to Chevrolet over the last two super speedways. Um, Atlanta, it was Chevy, Chevy, Toyota, Chevy, 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 top six. And then at Talladega, it was Chevy, Chevy, Toyota, Chevy, Toyota, Chevy, Chevy, top seven. So um, I just going by what we've seen this year, it's been it's been quite a while since we've had a a track like this. And I feel like Toyota to make a case for Toyota, I feel like Toyota has made gains since um, at, at Talladega. Just in overall speed at the other tracks. Now, whether that speed is just for those tracks, like we saw them struggle at, at another road course, you know, maybe they just have the speed at the other tracks and they hit a good portion of the schedule. And we're going to, you know, see the, the Chevys and the Fords be the premier cars here again this weekend. But that's about the, the only case I could I could make with Toyotas and, 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 and that fleet there. But, um, but yeah, as far as... Uh, do you think that there is any like major advantage between any of the manufacturers heading into this race at all? I wouldn't say so. I mean, even just looking at Atlanta, right? Like Christopher Bell would have finished second. Bubba Wallace probably would have gotten a top five-ish finish had he, you know, the wreck not happened at the end right there. There were Toyotas up there. I mean, Kyle Busch led some laps at the beginning of the race before he got caught up in a wreck. Denny Hamlin was really fast until he uh, hit, hit Kyle Larson from behind and spun Larson, which also collected him and um toyotas were fast at the first atlanta race they just because there's only six if you knock four of them out all of a sudden you're not looking very yeah. good right uh, kurt bush had a good finish at atlanta like the whole toyota fleet was really good at the first atlanta race they just ran into a lot of bad luck in the finishing department um it was essentially kurt bush was the only one that had a good finish because bell got disqualified or penalized a lap essentially Bubba got in a wreck there at the end. Denny Han was in a wreck. Kyle Busch was in a wreck. Kurt Busch was like the one that got the good finish. Uh, I don't remember what happened to Truex. I think he he uh, didn't have a great finish either. But like Toyota was he finished strong. eighth. Okay, so he finished eighth. So a good decent finish, not amazing, but decent. Like I, I just think uh, because there's only six of them, it doesn't decrease their odds of winning. It just 
when they have a bad day because they all get in a wreck, it makes it look like they did a lot worse than they actually did. But they ran really well in Atlanta 1, uh, so I'm not too worried about them. I do think, you know, maybe Ford and Chevy will have the raw speed advantage potentially in something like a qualifying, but that's qualifying. The race is a totally different thing. Yeah, we saw I – w- I was looking that up because I was – I was going to look at betting uh, um, pole winner this week. And Chevy's took the front row at Daytona. Toyota's took the front row at Talladega. And Ford's took the front row at Atlanta. Mm-hmm. It was Chase Briscoe on the pole, followed by Ryan Blaney, Joey Logano, top three starters there at Atlanta last time. But, yeah, you're right. Kyle Busch had a great car that race. I forget what kind of wreck he got. Um pulled into but he did have a very good car and especially early on he could run whatever line he really wanted to that that car was handling really well yeah i think i think track (sighs) position is going to be so important um because yeah this is different from daytona and talladega so even though you can draft even though you can work your way to the front it's not like you can just get a massive run and go from like 20th to 12th in a couple corners uh it's also a lot narrower of a track that's the point yeah it's it's a lot harder to do that you can't go three wide as much you kind of have to be more patient but uh, you can lose spots really easily if you have a problem but you can't gain them as easily as you can in a daytona or a dega but at the same time if you put a car up there like let's say todd gilliland in fifth place with three laps to go can he win? Yeah, I think so. He just has to make the right moves and be in the right line and the right place and get the right push. Uh, he could win, right? So that's why I feel like people are discounting these guys that are way down there um, more than they should be. Uh, I Again, I included Texas and Kentucky, which would hurt these guys' chances normally, and they're still showing up as like 150 to 1 should be the longest they should be to win this race because – Corey LaJoy finished fifth. Josh Balicki finished 16th, right? Like, Josh fucking mm-hmm. Balicki finished 16th. Uh, Spire averaged a 10.5 finish in that race, <laughs> right? Like, that's – and so we're not even talking guys like Todd Gillen, who ran really well at Daytona. We're not talking Harrison Burton, who's in that Wood Brothers car that has often been very strong like the other Penske's at these super speed races. Look, I mean, and at Daytona, he was right up there at the front until Keselowski wrecked him in the end of stage one, trying to win the stage. Like, these – Noah Gregson, I mean, uh, if, if we like Justin Haley at a super speedway in a college car, why can't we like Noah Gregson in a college car, right? I mean, this is – this is all like uh, Ty Dillon, 11th in the Daytona 500, a foot away from a top 10, a foot away from top Chevy. These guys are just priced too long at 200, 250, 300 to 1 that I sprinkled all five of those names, Dillon, Gill, and Gregson, Burton, and LaJoy, plus that mm-hmm. Custer 200 to 1. So I gave you my three favorites in the 40 to 50 range, Almirola Jones and, and Stenhouse, and then I have six outright bets on drivers that are 200 to 300 to 1 simply because they should be 150 to 1. And I'm not expecting them. I'm expecting to lose. I'm expecting every to lose every single one of those. Uh, I'm, I mean, I'm expecting to lose every single bet I'm making because this race is just too hard to predict. But I think if we replayed this race a million times, these guys would win more than their implied probability. Uh, so 
that's why I'm making those bets. This isn't a I'm trying to win today bet. This is an I'm trying to win long-term bet on all of these guys. And Caesars with the top 10 odds on these guys is absolutely incredible. Uh, I don't, I'm don't. i pulling them up right now to see if they moved them. They have not. So Caesars has Harrison Burton 7.5 to 1 top 10. Corey LaJoy 7.5 to 1 top 10. Cole Custer 7.5 to 1 top 10. Noah Gregson, nine and a half to one top ten. Todd Gillen and Ty Dillon, twelve to one top ten. Let's talk about this because Cole Custer on DraftKings. So so he's seven and a half to one for a top ten on Caesars. On DraftKings, he's shorter. He's seven to one, not for a top ten, for a top five. So he's shorter odds, more likely in implied probability per DraftKings to finish top five. Then he is on Caesars to finish top 10. Caesars top 10 odds on these dudes are just way out of lack. Let's look at Ty Dillon. I wrote up Ty Dillon 40 to 1 top Chevy at Daytona for the Daytona 500, but I also tracked him in the action app 3.5 to 1 for a top 10 at the Daytona 500. He's 12 to 1 for a top 10 now at a drafting track. And the funny thing is, of these six drivers, Burton, LaJoy, Custer, Gregson, Gillen, Ty Dillon. Five of them had major issues and finished at least four laps down or more. The only one that didn't was Corey LaJoy, and he finished fifth. All we need, if we put one unit on everybody, and I, I didn't exactly size them one unit on all of them, um, but if, if we put one unit on all of these guys, all we need is one of them to crack the top ten to profit. We would get our unit back. We'd lose five units on the others. We'd get our unit mm-hmm. back. And then we'd make seven and a half units if it was Burton, LaJoy, or Custer. So we'd profit two and a half units if the shortest of these, and we put one unit on all of them, hit. Uh, Now imagine if instead of five of these six guys encountering problems, it was only two or three of these guys encountering problems. Or none. Then we have so many more bullets at a top ten in a drafting track where anything can happen uh, that I just think these odds are way too long for top 10 and i think DraftKings agrees because they're pricing them shorter for top fives almost than top tens uh at caesars caesars has been these last couple of weeks has been uh very generous with their top 10 odds it reminds me of what valley was doing with their top five odds for a while and as we said last week don't expect these to last long so grab the value while you can yeah, and that's why because... i didn't tweet them out because uh we want. I wanted to record the show. I want to write up an article for him. Uh, so I haven't tweeted him out. I haven't put it on the action app. A, we can't track it on the action app yet. They don't have the top tens for Caesars on the action app yet. At least uh, before we went on air, I, I I didn't see them. But I haven't checked now if any uh, top tens are available on the action app. They are. So I can track top tens on the action app now. It always takes a little while for it to update once new things are released. Uh, like, you know, once lines are released, I can't track them immediately, immediately. It takes a handful of minutes or hours or whatever. Um, so I can track top 10. So uh, I will be writing up tomorrow, if they're still available, I'll be writing up these top 10s, uh, at least one of them, my favorite one probably. And I'll be tracking all six of these in the action app. So those are my other six bets. I tweeted, I've made 15 bets, nine outrights, and these six top 10s. But yeah, Caesar's been crushing it lately. Mm-hmm. And even on, you know, pretty much every like they they've really expanded their NASCAR offerings on their sports book, which is awesome to see. 
they still they used to be they had some of the worst odds, but they're getting a lot better and and by offering more they're becoming one of the better NASCAR books right about now. You mentioned having excuse me, you mentioned having uh bullets for top 10 finishes with the with these really long shots. We look back to the first Atlanta race, there's 23 cars that finished on the lead lap. You look at some of these junk cars that were on the lead lap at the end, Greg Biffle, BJ McLeod, David Reagan, Josh Balicki, uh, Corey LaJoy. Corey LaJoy finished uh, fifth. So these guys, that their strategy for the race is just to ride around and not get in a wreck. When half the field wrecks out, like we saw last time, or is you know four laps off the pace or more, um, it really works out for these guys, yes, to possibly even bj mcleod like that car is absolute junk greg biffle in that 44 ny racing that car was junk and he finished ahead of kevin harvick on the final lap um and and eric amarola i don't know if those two wrecked or not but um but still like greg biffle finished top 20 in a absolute junk car which we we see all this all the time uh at daytona talladega um and and you know looking at um tfs purposes like this is why these guys become viable options like i've always loved Corey lajoy at super speedways he's he's always my go-to low tier guy because he's so good at the and, and people yeah. still don't um acknowledge it like his ownerships are always still super low i don't remember what his ownership was for this atlanta race but he started 33rd i was all over him and i i crushed that day like it's, it's you, been my best remember, dfs day this year do you remember who my pulmonary pick of the week was for atlanta one I don't know. Josh Balicki. I was very drunk that Josh day. Josh Balicki was my Paul Monard pick of the uh, week. And he finished 16th. He started, what, like 30-something? Finished 16th? 36. Yeah. Gained you 20 place differential places. Josh Balicki. Josh fucking Balicki. And he didn't make the optimal, but he made, I think it was like a top 10 lineup in the big GPP. So he mm-hmm. definitely helped you on your DFS days. Uh, but... Josh Balicki is 10 to 1 for a top 10 on DraftKings, and I would not bet that. But the whole point of that is Ty Dillon is 12 to 1 for a top 10 at <laughs> Caesars. He's yeah. longer than Josh Balicki at Caesars, uh, longer than Josh Balicki at DraftKings. Ty Dillon is at Caesars. So it just screams value, these six drivers that we're talking about. They aren't in shit boxes. They're not shit box drivers, they're just priced wrong. Those six guys, Cole Custer, Harrison Burton, Ty Dillon, Noah Gregson, Todd Gilliland, Corey LaJoy, they're just priced wrong at Caesars, and you got to take advantage of those top tens. So hopefully, by the time this episode gets released, they'll still be long enough for you all to bet them. Uh, I'm just not so sure that'll happen, but at least we had to talk about it, because even if you miss out on these lines, you're a listener and you miss out on these lines... You should take the lesson away from this podcast and from listening to us that you need to be looking everywhere immediately when lines open because mm-hmm. you can find some mispriced lines. Yeah, they'll end up getting corrected or not not because they the book set bad lines and they're going to reject your bid, you know, they're they're going to be like, "Oh, we set a bad line." No. They're just they're setting fair line what they think are fair lines and the market's going to push them to where they actually should be is what we're saying. So you really need to pounce on these opportunities and 
part of it is you should be doing, even though we love the fact that you listen to us, you read our stuff, you follow us on the apps, you, you know, you also need to develop your own process for analyzing these things so that you can find these values without having to wait a day for the podcast to come out and we tell you what the value is. That's when you start to really become a good better is when you can get on these, find these values ahead of time or, or really quickly without us having to tell you. So yeah, um, you know, this is part of uh, part of why we do the podcast is to provide you with information and provide you with picks and, and, and provide you with DFS strategies, but also to help you become a better analyst yourself and what things you need to analyze and what processes you need to look into. Because even just comparing across books, if that's the most basic strategy you take, that is a huge uh, improvement you can do to your process. If you're not doing that right now, if you're not saying, where are my top tens on all the books, you know, Grab all of them, throw them into a spreadsheet if you need to. I prefer to go to actionnetwork.com slash NASCAR because they show them all right there in the same spot once they've populated. Uh, and and just compare across books, and it'll highlight the, the one that has the best odds. So if I go to actionnetwork.com slash NASCAR and I look at the outright winners right now, I can just scroll through and be like, okay, well, where can I find the best value on uh, Chase Briscoe? And it turns out it's 30 to 1 at points bet, right? So that's what you need to be doing. Yeah, that and that's always. By the way, if you're following any person or taking betting advice from anybody that does not look and find the best line available, like stop following and listening to that person. I don't care if they've won you a bunch of money or not. It, there is no reason for anybody that is giving people betting advice to not provide the best lines possible like that is just that's like your due diligence when you're in a position like that is to do the bare minimum and find like like if you if you give out a pick at 15 to 1 and he can get him at 25 to 1 somewhere else what are you doing like you it is your responsibility to say he's at 25 over here like yeah and and we're all gonna make mistakes we're all gonna miss one here or there and we're also what you're not talking about is i want to jump on a line that opens immediately and then you end up finding a longer line that's different because another book release lines later that's not the situation you're talking about you're talking about when all the books have their lines posted and a person doesn't do their shopping around and find the right one absolutely and it can happen. It happens to the best of us, but we get the best line, what, like 95% of the time? That's what you really want. And, and yeah, you, you absolutely need to be getting the best line when everything is out uh, as much as possible. Yeah, it's a little different when – if a book, like DraftKings is usually the first one to put lines out. And if I see something that I think is value on there and I hit it immediately and then, you know, Caesars comes out and – it's longer. I, it just irritates me. It, and that happens probably once or twice a month, to be honest with you. Like it happens. That happens quite a bit when I just get too, cause, cause and it could go the opposite way. It could be shorter and they get shorter. It's just kind of a risk you take. But yeah, it, as far as like, you know, lines that are already established, like I'm talking like, you know, weekend lines, like there's no reason not to. And, and you yourself, the better, if you're listening to someone, um, doing the research yourself and like just making sure that you don't have any other options that are better lines because you could have access to um, different books that you, whoever you're listening to doesn't have. And that's just going to make a difference that and that book could have longer lines. It's it's I've seen it happen before and it's not too crazy to, to think about happening. So 
yeah, there's my little rant for the, for the for this. Um, exactly. But yeah, um, I said uh, Cole Custer at two hundred to one was my favorite earlier. I actually really like Harrison Burton two hundred fifty to one over there at DraftKings as well. Yeah, I like that as a super long shot. Yeah, I mean, like I said, I bet all of those. So um, I got him immediately. The first book that opened was actually on July fourth at Westgate. Harrison Burton opened two hundred to one. So that's why, if you're looking, if you're going to criticize me for well, you didn't get him at two fifty. Well, it's because I bet him at two hundred to one immediately, just in case he moves shorter. And then another book released him two fifty, and I was like, well, I don't need to bet him again. I already got him at two hundred. So. Um, that's exactly what Jordan's talking about. Sometimes you have to take that risk of like, you don't want the lines to move shorter than you miss out. So you're trying to bet really early on what you found as value. And that's what I did with Harrison Burton. Then DraftKings posted him at 250. And I was like, damn, I should have waited. But that's, you don't know that. That's before you have all the information. We're talking about once you have all the information, you need to be getting the best line that you can find. So the best line I could find on July 4th was 201 on Harrison Burton. Mm-hmm. Completely different scenarios, but similar somewhat. Um, but, yeah. Anyway, um, who else you want to talk about here for this Atlanta race? Um, I don't know. I mean, what? let's do a little – I wouldn't say like a prop bet, but um, let's look at the standings again. So we got our 16 drivers that are in. But I don't want to necessarily talk uh, who's in, who's out. I want to talk who has a win and who doesn't. Right, so we have three drivers that are in that don't have wins. Ryan Blaney, Martin Truex Jr., Christopher Bell. Everybody else outside, obviously, doesn't have a win. So let's play a little, like, prop bet game. What do you think the chances are uh, for a new winner this weekend? Is it is it 50-50? Is it more likely than that? Is it less likely than that? What do you think? I... I'd say it's a little bit better than 50%. I say it's Be- much less than 50%. <laughs> you think? I think it's about 30 to 30. I haven't run, I mean, I have run my model. I just haven't compiled it for like who has and hasn't won. But if I had to guess, I would say like 30 to 35%. And I'm just saying that because you got guys like Blaney, Truex, Bell that are, that haven't won. And then, you know, Stenhouse, Bubba Wallace. Like you have a lot of good guys even mcdowell like the way mcdowell like mcdowell had another good run by the way we talked about him last week how good of a season he's having he had another top 10 finish at, at road america we saw him pull off a daytona win austin Dillon is good J- eric jones is good. like there's so many guys that haven't won this year i feel like we could see yet another uh new winner this weekend and i like my gut just tells me it's going to happen and my gut hasn't been extremely right this year but um that's that's just where i'm at i just as far as like a- yeah. actual statistical um probability i don't i don't fucking know yeah i mean we also <laughs> just have so many good drivers like Elliot Chastain Logano uh you know Byron Larson Hamlin Cobbush Bowman Reddick Kurtbush Chase Briscoe Daniel Suarez Austin Cedric, who have one that uh you know that's that's what 13 drivers there that have one and i think those are aside from a few also the names that are just more likely to win um i'm pretty much giving you know five of the four or five of these drivers zero chance to win like cody ware and josh balicki and bj mcleod right 
And and then again, these these Harrison Burtons, Todd Gillins, Ty Dillons, et cetera, they have a shot to win. I would just say it's around one percent each. So uh ballpark, right? Give or take a couple tenths of a percentage point. So in the end, we're really just adding up the probability of Blaney, Truex, Bell, Harvick Almarola Jones, Austin Dillon McDowell, Haley, Stenhouse, Bubba Wallace, and then a few guys that are around one percent. Uh and all those guys Keslowski. Oh yeah, Keselowski. Uh, I, I'm going through the standings. I forget he's like he's minus so far down. points. Or whatever. <laughs> um, oh, and Busher as well. Uh, for some reason, NASCAR has him listed below Keselowski because I think of the COVID thing. Um, but uh, so yeah, yeah, maybe better than thirty, thirty-five percent. Maybe let's say like forty, forty-five percent. But I still think it's less than fifty-fifty uh, that that we get a winner. Uh, you know, because my model has. Like, like, let's take Eric Jones. My model has him at 4% to win. Has Kevin Harvick at around 3.5% to win. It has Chris Travell around 4% to win. Or, not 4, uh, 5% to win. Um, so, like, 18 to 1 fair value on Bell. Like, it, it, if you add all those up of some 3s, some 4s, some 5s, around, like, what, 15 drivers, or let's say 10 drivers, then you're right around 30 to 40, maybe 45%. And then you got a bunch of, like, one percenters. So I don't think we quite hit uh, 50%. I could be wrong, but that my guess would be if I was uh, setting a line, I would say new winner would be like plus 105 and no new winner would be like minus 115. Mm-hmm. I will say this. I think if there is not a new winner this week, my confidence in us getting 17 before the playoffs start is going to drop significantly just because of looking at the schedule. We definitely need, we need a surprise winner this week, I think to get to 17. This and, and then a lot of things yeah. to go, right? Yeah. Yeah. Cause I mean, we can, we can bank on Blaney or Truex, at least one of them possibly, probably getting a win outside of the, the super speedways or the drafting tracks. But it's still not going to be easy. They haven't won yet. And, uh, you know, I feel like we need new winners at both Daytona and Atlanta. And then we still need two more winners as well that are new. Um, I feel like if it's Blaney or Truex, that actually also still hurts a lot. Or Bell. Like, I feel uh, yeah. Bell wouldn't be yeah, as yeah, bad. Yeah, but yeah. I think if it's Blaney or Truex, it still hurts a lot. Uh, so we need... A new winner yeah. that's not Blaney or Truex, I feel like, to to hit the 17. Uh, to, to, have, to feel very confident about – I shouldn't say very confident. I should say to feel like – to feel like there's a still a shot of that. Because if that doesn't happen, I feel like the chances of that, like you're saying, becomes a whole lot lower. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because – you know, we got New Hampshire coming up. We got Richmond coming up. Both those are very good tracks for now Blaney and, uh, you know, Truex and Bell. Um, so I definitely, yeah, I think we need Harvick or or lower to win this week to get to the 17. Um, because, you know, like tracks like Michigan, uh, Pocono, we're, I mean, we could see a surprise winner at Pocono. But Michigan, I don't think we will. And then there's the two road courses uh, before we get to Daytona as well. So, um so, yeah, I, th- I think we definitely need, like, a Bubba Wallace or someone to pull off a win here. Um, someone like that, you know, that probably that, that probably isn't going to win um, at the rest of these tracks other than not counting Daytona. But it would be – I think it would be awesome. It would be, it would be peak entertainment. It would be peak uh, drama 
if we went into Daytona with 16 different winners and then got a 17th and someone got knocked out, that would be that would, awesome. Oh yeah. But if just looking at the standings, what would be what would be like my ideal maybe yeah, my ideal situation here would be 16 different winners and then the 17th winner comes in at Daytona, but they're still the last car in points so they don't get in. And I'm going to throw it even further. Let's say Chase Elliott has like three bad races in a row and Blaney wins the points but doesn't have a win. Oh. <laughs> he gets in. He's guaranteed. Whoever wins the points is guaranteed in, even if they don't have a win. So we could have 16 winners and Blaney winning the points and the 16th winner would be out uh, in points standings. Would be I forgot out. about that. So we could get peak chaos by going into Daytona with 16 winners and somehow Blaney takes the points lead. We get a new 17th winner, and two guys that were in on wins get knocked out. <laughs> How about give, that? Give me all of that chaos. Lo- that would be it's that so, would be awesome. There's a, there's a person I follow on Twitter, uh, and they at least used to work for. Uh, I don't know if they still do. They at least uh, used to work for ESPN. Um, I'm looking it up right now. It's it's at Paul Carr. Paul Carr. So. Um, director of content for True Media Sports, soccer research for CBS and Fox, betting for ESPN and VSIN. Um, basically does a lot of, like, a super numbers nerd for soccer. And he has this hashtag that's called Root for Chaos because when you have, like, <laughs> tables in, in soccer where, like, crazy scenarios can happen, you know, like if this team wins 5-2, to two, it creates a four-way tie in the bracket and they all, you know, three teams, you know, then you need penalty shootouts and a drawing of straws to figure out who advances. Like, we need that, but for NASCAR, that would be peak, just incredible. If we go into Daytona with 16 winners, a new winner wins, and Blaney takes over the points lead without a win, and we knock out two winners. That would be just incredible. Two, two people who were in before that and then get out. Because if we go into Daytona with 17 or whatever, you know, then we're still only knocking out two winners that were in. So um, we're, we're knocking out others that weren't in already. But, like, yeah, I, that's the scenario I want is Blaney to take the point – to not have the points lead oh, going into man. Daytona, but to take over the points lead after Daytona – with a new 17th winner in Daytona and knock out two, not, two previous winners now are no longer making the playoffs. And you know what would happen then is uh, next year there'd be a rule that everyone would get in. Like that, that, that's what would cause the, the adjustment to the rules. But, oh, yeah, give me, that, I mean, give me I all like of that Clint chaos. I would probably just get an itchy arm or something. <laughs> if it came yeah. down to the last lap of Daytona, who's gonna who's gonna be the Clint Boyer? No, I, I think uh, I don't actually think that'll happen because we saw what happened to Michael Walter Bracing after that. They were extinct within like a year and a half. <laughs> yeah, two years. True. Um. Yeah, now I'm just looking at points, and I'm like, that'd be awesome. And it, really, it's it's surprising. Like Blady's not that far off. He's only thirty something points off. Mm-hmm. So. Definitely not, uh, not too crazy there. Yeah, like if he didn't, if Keselowski didn't wreck right in front of Blaney at Las Vegas, where Blaney finished thirty six, and Blaney was probably a top ten car, that's almost the points he needed to make up to be like tied with Chase Elliott in points. Hmm. Right, because Chase Elliott has one DNF, Blaney has two DNFs. They both DNF'd at Charlotte six hundred, 
And Blaney's other DNF came from when Keselowski wrecked right in front of him and Blaney had nowhere to go. Um, who's your uh, Palmenard pick? Or not Palmenard. Woo. Uh, who's your random fancy racing uh, pick this week? Eric Almarola. It was... It, Oh, boy. Remember, this is like the fifth time this year I've had Eric Almarola. <sighs> Air quote, random fantasy. I yeah. mean, it is random. Yeah. It's just so crazy that I've had one driver five times this year. Um, but it was last week. It was Austin Sindrick. And, dude, I, I'm going to say I jinxed him because he had a fast enough car to finish top four or five. But they chose the dumb strategy. I'll count that. Yeah, like I'll, I'll count. He that. finished worse than he should have. Let's just put it that way. Um, I just did mine, and I have. I finally didn't get a clunker. I've gotten a few clunkers these last few weeks. I got Christopher Bell. Oh, I'm not no. mad about that. <laughs> oh no! Well, now I'm not going to bet Christopher Bell. <laughs> I will say uh, one, two, three, four, five of my last six random fantasy racing finishes have been 29th or worse. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you're looking at so, six of the last seven, I think. I mean, it's Atlanta. Yeah. It, it, it's, it could happen to any driver, but with more chance than at some races. Yeah. Good old Christopher Bell. I haven't made the Jordan Jinx yet, but it's probably going to be on Harrison Burton. Ooh, I like that. I like that. You know, and here's the thing. Harrison Burton's a good super speedway racer. Um, if we look down in the Xfinity series, he led the most laps at one of the Daytona opening races of the season and finished like third or second. And the other one, he finished third or second without leading the most laps, but still finished third or second. So uh, I don't have them right in front of me, but I remember that off the top of my head. Yeah. So here it is. Led the most laps in the 2021 season opener at Daytona, finished third, finished second at the 2020 season opener at Daytona. Uh, at Talladega, he has a 10th and a DNF. And at Daytona number two, he has a fifth and a ninth. And then at Talladega, number two, he has essentially two DNFs, um, a, a 25th and a 23rd. The 23rd was not a DNF. The 25th was. But if you're finishing the 23rd, you probably had some problems. So, you know, he's pulling off top finishes uh, or having issues. So that's kind of where we are with, with Harrison Burton at this point in time uh, as far as the Xfinity series. But... Uh, you know, decent super speedway racer and wasn't very good at Atlanta, but also ended up having some problems at Atlanta. But that doesn't mean they can't, you know, work on things, figure things out, have a race to learn from. Uh, and things will be different for this Atlanta. And I do like Harrison Burton uh, at 200 or 250 to one to win. Those are good odds. Mm hmm. 10th in green flag speed at Talladega. He did wreck out, though. So that's what's always hard to. Um, like adjust your like who actually had a good car because their green flag speed is always going to be a little skewed if they wrecked early. Um, yeah, I mean, I remember Dennis Daytona like 500. He was running in like the top six or eight the whole time, and Keselowski hit him from behind. You know, trying to be too aggressive, spun him out into uh, William Byron, and I remember Burton had that flip uh, at the Daytona 500 because of that. So he's running inside the top ten for the whole stage one of the Daytona 500. Until he got wrecked. I've tried 
I've tried to put the Daytona 500. I'm surprised you haven't put the Daytona 500 out of your memory with, with, <laughs> with how well you were doing in DraftKings. Honestly, yeah. I was uh, really happy with it. Like, I was proud, like beamingly happy proud that I gave myself a shot to win a million dollars, like a legitimate shot. If I had had more David Reagan, uh, I quite possibly could have won the million. If not, I placed at least a few more lineups into the top echelon of of lineups because and, and i'm kicking myself for it it's hindsight's 2020 right like in it was so obvious looking back on it that i should have played more david reagan than i did i still had like i was still overweight on him to the field but i think i only had like 10 to 15 percent of him instead of like you know 20 15 to 20 percent or whatever that i feel like i should have had on him maybe even more um and i think he was like somewhere between i don't you might have the ownership percentage handy but i think he was less than 10 percent owned right I want to say he was like right at ten percent. Yeah. Um, I'll have it here I'm in a second. I'm hundred percent sure I had more than the field on him. I just remember him. He was in what car was he in? The fifteen. Because that's why the Rick Ware fifteen. That's why I. That's why I couldn't trust it because like I don't trust that car whatsoever. Mm-hmm. But as we've seen with Joey Hand in that car, when it seems like when there's actually a good, um, a good driver in it, like D- David Reagan, I feel like. You know, he finished 24th at Talladega. He finished 8th at Daytona, 18th at Atlanta. Like, that's not the typical Rick Ware, yeah. um, you know. What's this doing? But yeah, like, it's it's one of those things where I, I lost out on a million dollars, but really I didn't because I never had that million dollars to begin with. So um, I was just really happy I put myself in it with a chance. I've, I've, my strategy was awesome outside of David Reagan, I would say. My strategy was so good. And so I was just really happy with how that race went from an analytical perspective, even though the results didn't happen the way I wanted them to. Right, I lost 30 or 35% ROI on that. Uh, I was expecting to lose even more because of the crazy structure right it was like a million dollars to first place and the total prize pool was like 2.25 million dollars or something so you know i mean almost half the money went to first place so you can't expect to make money when that happens but um i think i made more than uh i expected i should say lost less than i expected and i gave myself a chance to win a million dollars so not not mad at all about that daytona race but i definitely vividly remember Keselowski just hitting Harrison Burton, spinning him to the inside, and uh, clipping uh, William Byron, and, and Burton ended up flipping upside down on that. David Reagan was 9.46% owned. Yeah, I think I had him about 15%. I wish I had had him like 20 to 25. Mm-hmm. Same with uh, Todd Gilliland, Gill 8.83%. That, that that's still oh that's still heartbreaking. I, I, think I had him like, what, 35, 40 Maybe even a touch over forty percent. Yeah, same. Yeah. No, I know. <laughs> well, and that was the wreck. The heart and Harvick, I was overweight on too. Uh, and I think I remember DMing you, or, or maybe we both wrote up in our articles or something. I was like, I, I think we were both on Harvick and Gilly, and we had like the same exact drivers for Daytona yeah, this year. And we wrote it. I mean, obviously we talk, but like we write our articles separate. We're on, you know we don't talk like the night before the race or then while we're writing our articles. It just we happen to be identical almost on that race. And there's a few times we are like nearly identical. And there's a few times we're separate, but that one, we were like so spot on with the same like mindset 
and we, we God, if that Harvick, Gill, and Wreck hadn't happened, um, I'd probably, you know, have like thrown us a huge party or something with a million dollars. Yeah. Uh, looking at ownerships for the first uh, Atlanta race, just trying to throw a little DFS talk in here. It seems like people kind of they more were a little more in tune, um, but still, Chase Briscoe ten percent owned starting first. Ryan Blaney almost twenty percent owned starting second. Logano was at sixteen percent. Kyle Busch twenty one percent. All those guys started top four. Um, it's so hard. To we play say those this front guys, you know, just. Again, stop doing it. Stop doing it. I, and I know we said it for Road America, and of course, uh, Chase Elliott was like in the optimal lineup, and fourth place starter was in the optimal lineup. Uh, right. But this is even more different because these guys are going to lose the lead at some point. The front row starters, guaranteed, they're going to lose. It's not going to be like Chase Elliott first or second the whole race, like we saw at Road America. These guys are going to lose the lead, and when that happens. There's a chance they'll get caught up in somebody else's mess. That's how these races work. So do not go overweight on these front row starters, these top three, top five-ish starters. Uh, I think it's a little different from Daytona and Talladega that, yeah, you probably can use them a little bit more. But if I'm playing 150 lineups, I'm still probably almost never, maybe never putting the pole center in it. And second or third, maybe I'm sprinkling them into three lineups total between them five lineups total between them tops i don't know yeah i i have a very strict um rule like because i don't enter the big gpps so i'm like i'll enter the the mini max but i just immediately take out pretty much the top five mm-hmm. like i just completely take them well, out i think when for we that kind of contest 100 percent makes sense yeah just and and obviously high dollar like i'm not I'm not doing any of that, and I'll, it's, yeah. But um, this, these are definitely the weeks where not only is it fun to take long shot bets and, and kind of, you know, throw some money on some guys that you normally wouldn't, but also with DFS, great weekend always to go against the chalk and tiny little pivots to someone starting one position worse, two positions worse, um, you know, you just look at the difference between like two big name super speedway drivers this first Atlanta race this year. Stenhouse, Michael McDowell, they started 28th and 29th. Stenhouse was 40% owned, McDowell was 18% owned. Mm-hmm. And Christopher Bell started 27th, he was 36% owned. Yeah, just a so, little more McDowell, a little less Stenhouse and Bell. And that's how it should run. Like, if you were optimal, like we do what we call game theory optimal, which is what over at, at Fantasy Labs, uh, which Action Network owns. My, my projections there the perfect percent metric that's basically like your game theory optimal if you were to play 150 lineups it would say mcdowell probably would have been like i don't know 24 or 25 percent and it probably would have said stenhouse and bell would have been closer to like lower 30s instead of 38 40 whatever right because these things all run a lot closer when there's a lot more randomness so you're exactly right that's a perfect spot to leverage the ownerships and and even then like yeah i might say okay mcdowell's optimal 25 percent and stenhouse and bell at like 33 percent even then i might want to flip them just get the extra leverage so that if if something happens in my favor 
Now I have even extra leverage instead of just game three optimal. So that's what we call an exploitative strategy is instead of going to the optimal percents, I'm going to exploit the field's uh, screw-upedness and flip those percentages. So instead of 25-33, I'm going 33-25, right? And then because they are 15% on McDowell and 38% on Stenhouse or 40% on Stenhouse, not only am I getting that leverage going from 40 to 33 on Stenhouse, well, now I'm getting the leverage going 40, from 40 to 33 down to like 27 or 28%. And I'm gaining some extra leverage on McDowell because these people are just way over leveraged in the other direction. So I'm being exploitative uh, against the field. Mm-hmm. And as usual, it's um, as far as DFS goes, you don't, you shouldn't use all your cap. Like it's a completely different scenario than most weeks. Like it's when you see guys like Corey Joy finishing top five, clearly you're not going to be using your entire cap space when it comes to building a DFS lineup, whether that be DraftKings or FanDuel. What are you looking up? You look I'm, I'm tweeting. inquisitive. I'm tweeting right now. Oh. <laughs> I was just thinking about the uh, the root for chaos scenario. Ah. It's just, it's so good. Like, uh, this would be, it would be up there with the greatest NASCAR drama moments of all time if the root for chaos actually happened. Uh, I just, I want it so bad now. I, we need a new winner for Atlanta. We need a new winner for Atlanta. I don't care who it is. I don't care if it's Cody Ware. Like, I just – well, actually, that would suck if it was Cody Ware because you need to be in the top 30 in points also. Uh, right. So anybody in the top 30 in points, uh, please win. So that actually means we don't want Corey LaJoy to win. <laughs> right, because he's 31st, mm-hmm. pretty far back from Kez yeah. and, and Todd Gillen. So um, speaking of that, though, who is your pick to win the second Atlanta race of the year? I'm going to do what I did last week and just go with uh, something that you're going to be like, what the hell, right? Like, like I listened to it back last week from the Reddick, and you're like, wow, okay. Like, mm. you weren't like, that's a bad pick. You were just like, wow, I'm surprised. And It's a, yeah, um, it's a stand to take. Yeah, it was. And obviously my feelings aren't as strong on this one. This is more like a, a gut feeling, uh, trusting some numbers here. But I'm going with Kurt Busch to win the race as my pick of the week. Uh, I don't think I would bet him at, you know, anything shorter than 25, but I am considering him at 25 to 1. So when I release my video for Action Network later this week, I may have a different pick to win just based off of I still want to have a reason to bet them, usually, because Action Network, we're a betting site, and so... I will at least say, like, even if I'm not betting them to win, I may be looking for their odds to change or, or you know, certain things to happen in practice or qualifying. So I may not make Kurt Busch as my pick to win on my Action Network video, and that's not trying to be like, oh, I'm trying to just get multiple picks to win. That's more just I have to take betting into consideration. But my pick to win, if I had, without odds in consideration, if I just had to pick one driver to win, I would pick Kurt Busch. Um, and the only reason is... That's just where my brain went, and that's it. I don't have a good reason other than he jumped out in my numbers more than I expected, uh, in my model more than I expected. So, sure, why the hell not? Mm-hmm. 
as much as I want a random driver to win, I'm not sure that we get it this week. But I do think we get a new winner, and I think it's going to be Ryan Blaney. Yep, that's a good pick. Unfortunately. Yeah. Well, then. I want to see – I'd love to see Bubba Wallace, Stenhouse, hell, Justin Haley. I'd love to see one of those guys win. Dude, that would be crazy. But Haley would be fun. Yeah, that would be um, fun. Because he's actually – I mean, he's having a pretty good year. Yeah, he, 18.9 average finish for that team is pretty solid. Yeah, um, and they had that string of races where um, from Las Vegas to Dover, they finished 17th or better in all but two races, which I think was uh, nine – a race span so seven out of nine races they finished 17th or better no 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 oh and then i even i didn't even see darlington um so out of 10 races they finished 17th or better eight out of 10 times 80 percent top 17 rate and really it was two 17ths and then after that um six out of eight races they finished 15th or better including a third place at darlington uh so they had that string where they were super consistent. And they had two straight DNS at Kansas and Charlotte. Two good finishes again at Gateway and Sonoma, 14th and a 12th. And now two meh finishes, 23rd and 24th at National Road America. So they've been pretty streaky. Um, but I, th- I would you know, I would love to see them pull off a win and make the playoffs. I would love to see Bubba Wallace, obviously. I would love to see Harrison Burton, Todd Gilliland, uh, as much as I'm not a fan of the Dillons, if Ty Dillon won, that'd be pretty wild, right? If he made the playoffs, that would be wild. And I would, my bankroll would like that too. So um, I don't think it's going to happen. You're right. But we can't discount like even these crazy long shot guys. But I think hmm. uh, just talking picks to win, I think if, if there was a driver I had to pick to win that didn't have a win yet and that wasn't locked in the playoffs, I would go Almarola. That's pretty, yeah. That's solid, and that would that would equally shake a bunch of stuff up too. Mm-hmm. I think you can make an argument for McDowell, or not McDowell, uh, Austin Dillon. I mean, you can for McDowell, but I think in terms of most likely, you can make an argument for Austin Dillon, and I would also say potentially McDowell or Busher and, and Stenhouse, of course, and Bubba, of course, um, but uh, potentially McDowell or Busher uh, as well. So I think Almarola would be my pick, even over Bubba. Even though Bubba's more aggressive and has been there, I just for some reason I feel like Almarola is just like the guy that I'm feeling this week. Uh, and unfortunately, he's my random fantasy pick, so I'm probably just an idiot. <laughs> Austin Dillon did finish second at uh, Talladega. That's a good point. And even Eric Jones. Like, oh, that man, seems I, to have I skipped speed right this over year. Him. I skipped right Eric over Eric Jones. Yes. No, I was, I was yeah. 100%. You're right. Like, that tier that tier from in terms of point standings uh from uh let's say almarola harvick almarola all the way through bubble wallace that don't have a win right now could win with a decent shot right and almarola finished fifth in the daytona 500 as well yeah so this is gonna be a fun race um I once again, and I know I got on my high horse earlier with like, don't too much put too much stock in this one Atlanta race. I'm not trying to like criticize anybody or anything. I'm more just saying we need to take into consideration that things will change from first Atlanta. That's all I'm saying is like things will change and that creates uncertainty. 
and uncertainty is what we want to take advantage of. So people who are overconfident in these takes, uh, may, they may be right. Maybe nothing changes, but it's probably a lot more likely that things will change. Uh, teams will figure things out. They'll learn from the first race. They'll see, they'll watch the race back and find out that William Byron had a, you know, a super speedway car with an intermediate setup and yada, yada, yada. Things will change. Uh, we don't know how they'll change, but they'll change, right? May, the tire stuff might get figured out, uh, may make less attrition, but people may be more aggressive. So it may make more attrition. I don't know. We just don't know. So I'm not putting a ton of stock into Atlanta one, but I think you do need to at least consider it in like tiebreaker scenarios. So that's kind of mm-hmm. the direction I'm going with. How do we use Atlanta one? Yeah. And, and what what that could ultimately create is situations where, especially in DFS, where um, people get so like it's gonna it's gonna push ownership for certain guys even more. So if like William Byron qualifies twenty fifth, his ownership is gonna be skyrocketed high. Um, it, where you could have someone like a, I don't even like. Mm-hmm. Kurt Busch, you know, starting 27th and his ownership is going to be a third of what uh, Byron's would be yep. when, it, when really that makes no sense at all. Right, exactly. So, yeah, and, and that's just you're one. You're 100% right, and that's the situations we need to look for in DFS. So if you're mm. a DFS player and you got William Byron starting 22nd and Kurt Busch starting 21st, just because William Byron, what he did at Atlanta, and because he's starting one spot further back, he's going to be – 30% owned, Chris, Kurt, or Kurt Busch is going to be 15 to 18% owned, right? They need to be running a lot closer together than that. Uh, and I'm making up numbers, but you get the idea. Mm-hmm. You know, you probably want to be playing Byron 25% and Kurt 22% or something like that. Uh, I'm making up numbers again, but you get the idea. Is like if you find these situations that are uh, – People will just put too much weight on what happened at Atlanta one or too much weight on bigger names, bigger teams, bigger, you know, drivers, whatever. Uh, Those are the situations to take advantage of because people have their biases. They have biases towards bigger names, higher salaries in DFS, shorter odds to win, uh, et cetera. So those biases are what we can take advantage of because if we're just playing by the numbers, we don't care who the driver is, who the team is, what their salary is, and we just look at the numbers, we will make better decisions. And that's the whole thing. I, uh, you know, somebody messaged me the other day, and, and they're a friend of mine, and I'm not calling them out, nothing bad. Bubba Wallace is dead to me. I keep putting my faith in him, and, you know, but we're going to Atlanta. Like, you can't just be yeah. like, and even after Atlanta, you can't just be like, well, Bubba Wallace is just always going to screw up. Like, most of the time, it hasn't been Bubba Wallace's fault this year. It's been his pit crew. It's been Joey Logano punting him. Like, yeah, there's times Bubba Wallace screws up too, but um, you can't lock in these biases. And, and people do this all the time, right? Like, there was a stretch where Dale Earnhardt Jr. wasn't was like crashing out every race or having issues. Last year, Eric Almarola was wrecking out every race. Oh, he, he's either due or he's just going to keep wrecking out. There's no middle ground of like, 
this is probably just variance and he's probably wrecking out more than he should, but he's also not necessarily due, right? Like it's people just get these biases and they take things to one extreme or the other. We just need to play the numbers, just play the probabilities, play the percentages, and you'll be a better DFS player. You'll be a better, better. Mm-hmm. This is the week where it's going to be fun making DFS lineups, but it's also going to be frustrating because you really so much unpredictability is in this race. Mm-hmm. Um, there's a whole there's like a high a, degree of uncertainty. Yeah, probably even more than than most people realize, as you've said yeah. a couple times tonight. Yeah, because people think they know things from Atlanta one when I think we don't know as much as we think we know. It, it, it's one of those things where you need to be more aware of what you don't know than what you do know. Um, people who are more aware of what they don't know often fare better than people who think they know everything. And I'm as guilty of this as anybody. I, I think I know things that I don't, uh, or draw too many conclusions. And that's where I let the numbers check myself, right? When I just run my model and I run it with no biases and I'm like, wow, I didn't, realize this and then you know you kind of dig it through things and you're like okay i understand that and this is why this if we're saying only ricky stenhouse jr can contend for the win outside of attrition from this you know longer odds group i think that's a mistake whereas we're saying well maybe it's going to be hard for guys in this range to contend for the win but there could be one to two of them and we don't know who it will be, I think that's less of a mistake. I don't even necessarily think that's a mistake. I think that's probably the way you want to approach it is there could be guys like Stenhouse, like Jones, like uh, Almarola, who could contend for the lead without attrition, right? So I don't think we should just say, well, it was only Ricky Stenhouse who could contend for the lead, so that's it. Uh, Because things will change. Not every race is the same, and it's very easily somebody like an Almarola could have gotten a push to the lead. It's very easy... Like Brad Keselowski uh, or RFK could figure out things from the last one. And, of course, I was using that as a reason to not bet on Keselowski. So, I'm, like I said, I am at fault for this, my own biases. Um, but, uh, you know, maybe they, maybe RFK, like they did after the Watkins Glen road course test, they figured out stuff for the road courses and got better at the road courses. Maybe they figured out stuff about, it, you know, this type of racing. And Keselowski will be better. And knowing what we know of Keselowski, he's a great Talladega and Daytona racer. So why wouldn't he be here? So maybe I need to check my own biases and from one Atlanta race and uh, maybe bite the bullet and bet him 40 to one. I don't know. Um, that'll be something I determine. I, I could end up on Keselowski and I'm almost kind of talking myself into it right now as we speak, but we need to know that we don't know as much as we think we know. And that's where I'll leave it. Mm-hmm. That's a good way to end this episode as well. So good luck to everybody. I'm so glad one last thing about this Atlanta race. I'm so glad this race is only 400 miles and not 500. I know you enjoy the longer races, but that thing last time I watched a replay of it today. Cause I didn't, I didn't get to watch it live when the first race happened. Oh my God. That was just long. So long. Make it 600 miles. So, <laughs> uh, no, Let's make it a thousand. Screw it. Let's go. 12 hours of Atlanta. <laughs> But uh, but yeah, 400 miles this week before the series heads to uh, New Hampshire. Yes, again. Yes, 
The second time this year? First time. First time, yeah. Who won Atlanta or New Hampshire last time? Eric Almarola. That's right. I remember who said it's Eric Chris Almarola in second. <laughs> <laughs> that was another one of those. I, I guess I just had that feeling and it was Eric Almarola week. Yeah. He was 80 to 1. Yeah, that's too long. He was 80 to 1. Just crazy. All right. Anyway, we're wrapping up this yeah. episode, but yeah. Yeah. New Hampshire. Good luck to you guys. Absolutely. I can't wait to talk about New Hampshire. And hopefully this will be another good week betting and DFS wise at Atlanta. So Atlanta is my best DFS track. Not to jinx myself, but I just jinx myself. But throughout my history, Atlanta has absolutely, I've absolutely crushed Atlanta. So both old and new. So we'll see how this goes. Good luck to everybody this week. And we'll talk to you next week with New Hampshire. See ya. Thank uh-huh.